Hey, what is going on, everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. <laughs> Plans are worthless, but planning is everything. My name is Thomas. That is one of my favorite quotes from Dwight D. Mm-hmm. Eisenhower. So thank you for putting it on the show, Andrew. And I am here with Andrew. Speaking of the devil, what are you drinking, Sup, dude? Bra. Uh, I am drinking a El Dole export stout, and Ooh. it is so exported that literally the label looks like it's like not even a. It's like half the thickness of a label. Half like the thickness. Just, it looks like it was like a stamp. Like you licked it and you just put it on, and oh. it's like kind of coming off. <laughs> it's tasty though. Is it? Hey, you drink yeah. a lot of craft beer, right? Mm. Only. Uh, do you do you ever get we like get infected beer? No. What? Or do you ever get beer that's like at the bottom? There's like this milky substance almost. No. Maybe, I have maybe, played Pandemic, the board game. That I know you've played that, but I don't know. So I went to the ski condo with uh, Matt and Nathaniel Boyle, who has been on the show before, um, two, three times or something. Yeah, and he lives in sort of near Denver now, like in a suburb. Mm. And they bought some beer at the liquor store in Frisco and they brought it back and they were like, we got to figure out if these, these brews are infected. Like, I don't know. I feel like they must be buying like some, I don't know. I don't know. Matt's the beer nerd. I know nothing about this. I I mean, I guess like you could get an infected strain of yeast in your Mm. beer when, during the brewing process. So I've heard that certain batches can have a different taste. Uh, They could smell like sour milk, potentially if you have an infected strain and i was thinking man i have never in my life bought a case of beer that didn't taste the way it was supposed to taste so they must be buying like the hipsterest of the craft brews i don't I was even like, know or maybe you bought a craft brew and you're like wow this tastes like shit and it actually was just infected <laughs> <laughs> that could have been that the could, case that could definitely have been uh yeah but i don't know i, I think i know what i like in beer I'll tell you what, like Shanty and Fat Tire, like they're, they're not messing it up and sending out infected yeast brews. Yeah, those those big breweries are going to have a lot of quality control. And, you mm. know, some of the hipsters out there will be like quality and air quotes. But I don't know. It's well, good. I like me a Fat Tire. It tastes good. <laughs> mm. Ooh, that reminds me. Speaking of past huh. episodes, I need to issue a retraction because this is not listen. Misinformation matters if I can help it. So in our cooking episode, uh-huh. I stand by almost everything I said, except for I did say that Whole Foods has lowered their prices. And now for like produce and stuff, like your, mm-hmm. your typical food that isn't a hipster bone broth drink, it's like nearly the same price as what you get at the grocery store. Right. I was wrong about that. So they didn't. I thought they Whole did. Foods has lowered their prices. But even when I was a college kid, I was always the kind of person who wouldn't really pay that much attention to prices. Like I kind of look at it, but I would just sort of toss stuff in my cart. Um, so I was kind of like going off of what people told me, Oh, Amazon bought whole foods and now they lowered the prices. So because I spend so much of whole foods, I thought I'm going to go and I'm going to spend a Sunday morning looking at some of the prices of whole foods. And then I'm going to walk over to the King supers that's nearby. And I'm going to look at the prices there for the same things. White onions, $2 a pound at Whole Foods, $1 a pound at King Supers. So literally you know, half the price. They have different price. Like a lot of places lower the price of milk to bring you in. I know they do. like easy comparable. That's true. By so me, I, I checked Kings the milk prices. You, you have Kings. I have King Supers. It's different. 
Oh, okay, totally. Okay. King Supers is a Colorado and maybe like other states surrounding, but it's it's definitely not where you are. And it wasn't even in Iowa. It's only in Colorado-ish areas. Only uh, the bearded states. Yeah, only the beard states. I checked other things like the milk prices were, well, obviously like for your your regular tier milk is cheaper. They did have the organic milk and that was around the same price. Um, like for produce, it was cheaper at King Supers. It was crazy. But bottom line, I was wrong. Whole Foods is still expensive as shit. I'm still going to shop <laughs> there because it's the closest thing to me. But mm. I was wrong about that. And if you want to save money on your food, don't shop at Whole Foods. <laughs> Even for the produce. Episode sponsored by Whole Foods. <laughs> sponsored by Jeff Bezos, <laughs> who's staring so, at me intensely now. Okay, so so we uh, we blasted into this year with like a, a few heady episodes on like the future of work, UBI, and Ubi. Uh, Ubi. I, I know it got a lot of people thinking. Ubi got a lot of people angry. Did we get a response got, to that? Yeah, so future of work a great a great response. Were like, people emailing you or do they comment? I didn't check. Yeah, pe- people were like emailing. It was awesome for future work. And then for U- Ubi, people uh, <laughs> I got an email someone's like uh, I don't want to live in Venezuela or just like weird <laughs> stuff like <laughs> guys, whatever. I mean, well, we we wanted to propose th- there needs to be a solution. Everyone if, needs uh, to know that if I say something on a podcast, it will mm. happen. The government will enact it. So because <laughs> I talked about universal basic income, everyone is getting a check next month and we're all living in a socialist wonderland. It's just, it's but happening. Look, so, so here's the thing is, um, I mean, obviously we would love you to create a business, but not everyone will not, not everyone is predisposed to creating a business, yeah. but we really think that everyone should prepare, uh, in the next five years for changes that will be happening. Uh, and perhaps we'll make the labor market, you know, the job market more challenging. And so yeah. um, we we want to talk about uh, like in job interviews, preparing for them. Um, and like before we before we jump in, there's like this one misnomer. Uh, I, I feel like uh, people think they just can go to job interviews and, and maybe they can. Um, it's something that you don't practice. And when I had graduated college and I wanted to find my second job after I somehow luckily got a first job, <laughs> I thought I was like, hot shit, I can get any job I want and all these things, look at me, I'm smart. But uh, none of that was the case. And I especially sucked at job interviews. It was very humbling. And so I, I went out to just do like a ton of job interviews that didn't matter so I can learn and get better. Hmm. Did you bomb that second job interview? And like fourth, fifth, eight, I was like, really? dude, so le- yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty pathetic. Actually. I was really bad. Like I would walk out of there. I was like, nailed it. And they, and they like, wouldn't even call me. <laughs> they wouldn't even call me to tell me no. <laughs> well, looking back, what are some of the things that you regret doing that you cringe when you think about? I think, uh, okay. So there, there are trap questions that you're asked. And I think that, um, a certain level of maturity or thoughtfulness, and we'll, and we'll cover these, we'll prepare you for it. I think I was very, uh, arrogant mm. and I probably still am to a degree, but I think you have to just be super humble or aware of yourself when you're in an interview. And also, um, the, 
like the the one thing that kind of like dawned upon me is that the interview isn't about me. Like you're there for a job to work for someone else. And when there's two of you in the room, it's about them in the room. And so no, it's, it's, I, I don't believe that. Why do you say that? Maybe, maybe I view interviews a little bit differently. Um, because I've been running a college tips website for eight years at this point. And mm. What I find to be more common than arrogance in the interview is uh, too much humility, too much, or a lack of self-confidence. And number one, people aren't prepared, but they go in thinking that this is like an audience with Louis the Fourteenth, and they have to bow down and they are going to be given this job out of the kindness of the manager's heart. And I believe that you need to look at an interview as a discussion between two parties who are evaluating one another to see if they can trade something of value. Because if you're sitting there in an interview, you are going to be trading your time and expertise in exchange for money. I think what we're talking about, I'm looking at like the the extreme on one end and you're explaining the extreme on the other. And I think um, the, the people who get hired meet in the middle and that person across the table from you may not necessarily be like directly smack in the middle. They may maybe more to one side and perhaps, you know, want someone who is working for them and who perhaps is a bit more uh, nervous or, you know, I don't know. It depends on what that person is looking for. And obviously it has to fit for both people. Yeah. Um, and so I have like a whole litany of things. Uh, to think about and prepare for so that um, perhaps in the situations where the, the job sucks or the people who are hiring you suck or are great, it will be in your decision to like say yes or no, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, if the job sucks, you still want to ace the interview so that, you know, if it's an awesome opportunity, you could take it. And now you could say no, but it's your decision. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's what I wanted to communicate is the interview is also for you to evaluate them. Mm. Uh, and that's important because you don't want to just accept any old job. I mean, if you're in dire straits, I get it. Like you mm. need money. You're going to sack groceries. You're going to shovel out coal from giant burning fire for uh, furnaces like Elon Musk did when he was a teenager. But if you aren't in dire straits, then I think a lot of times the confidence you bring into an interview, knowing that you're also evaluating them, that's actually going to look good because mm. it shows the interviewer that you're not somebody who's desperate for a job. You're somebody who is confident and who has skills and who deserves respect. And that's the kind of person they're going to want to hire. They're not going to hire, want to hire somebody who's just like this, you know, sniveling court jester or mm. something. I don't know. <laughs> And this, this goes into like uh, the, the preparation phase because before you even show up, there there is a litany of things that you need to do. You know, one, you should absolutely research the company and potentially the role. There's like Glassdoor, Payscale. People may write things about it mm-hmm. because like you said, Thomas, like th- maybe the manager sucks. Maybe the role is not you would, what you expect. So you should have as good of an understanding as possible of yeah. what you may be getting into. And, and like... Uh, if there's like some things that you don't know, uh, some you may ask, but some also you perhaps shouldn't ask during the interview. So, um, let's like maybe what like go you through, ask? like how, like what the salary is or how much vacation time you get 
or, you know, if you could work from home five days a week or, you know, perhaps like go in there, show them that you're awesome, let them want you. And then as mm. part of the negotiation process, like phase two, you can ask these questions. Yeah. You know, and often these questions won't even be asked to the person that that you'd be working for. It's like an HR person. Mm-hmm. Um, is that how it was but, with you? So so that that's how it has often worked with me is, uh, you know, like you'll get like a, a pay band, you know, maybe the job pays, you know, 50 to 65 and, you know, you, you go in and and in your head, maybe like, well, I will definitely do it for 70 or I would be thrilled if I got 50. That'd be a huge upgrade. But you, you don't convey any of that until they love you and want you because if they really, really want you then maybe they'll pay 70 for you. Yeah. Yeah. You I know, mean, but if you sense. go in there, you, you don't want them to feel like you're doing it for the money, even though you yeah. probably are. You know, that's definitely part of it. And I think mm. any interviewer worth their salt is not stupid. You know, they don't for think sure. you're coming in there because you're mother Teresa and you don't care about money at all. Like competitive compensation is something that needs to be discussed, but you are right that it is more important uh, to order it in such a way that they want you before the price is being discussed because it's, it's just like buying a car. There's always a base price, but there's mm. the model you actually want and it's their job to kind of like sell you on the options. So that way exactly. you're just like, I really actually do want that moon roof with Dragon Ball Z stenciled all over it. And I really want the Apple AirPlay and I really want the 20 inch rims or whatever. And you came in there knowing that, oh, the base price of this car was like $20,000. $20, well, now it's $28,000, but man, I really want that stuff. And I've kind of like sold myself on them. All right, I'll pay for it. It's the same and thing with the candidate. You also have to think of it like this. So you may go in, um, crush it, and really get along with the hiring manager, and then ask a few questions that may like detract like quote unquote points from your awesomeness scale. But like net, you still would you know deserve the job, great fit, they love you, but it's not just you. You're competing with other people you don't know. And so mm-hmm. what's going to happen is they're going to choose a number one and they're going to go for the number one choice. If that doesn't work, they'll go for the number two and so on. And so it really, in your interactions, you want to position yourself to be the number one. And then when they've chosen you, you know, you can negotiate and they're probably not going to now talk to someone else because you've asked for more. They're, they're going to work something out. Yeah, exactly. So, Actually, so I, I you, went through a hiring hmm. process last summer and, uh, you know, I ended up dictating the terms, or I ended up suggesting the price, but had she counteroffered, I probably would have taken her counteroffer hmm. and maybe she's going to listen to this and counteroffer me now. I don't know. And, I'm not, I'm not a so good I mean, Machiavellian businessman, <laughs> but she was number one out of our candidate list. She had the hmm. best work and she went above and beyond the most in the, in the, uh, application process. So we were just like, we really want her, you know, you know and, and I've been working so with ransom for years. Me, and one time he was like, Hey, I need to up my prices. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so if you had told me that, um, you, you like, you know, about your whole process, now you're hiring and that you were going to give the price first, I would have yelled at you because uh, what, whoever I, says the number first is usually the loser. Cause like, oh, uh, what yeah. will happen is Right. So, so you don't want to disappoint them. And, you know, so there's all these things that are going to your head. So you may say a number that it, I always, when it is for the job, and we've recently hired some people, <laughs> um, 
we had, we had a phase two. So we had like everyone applied. And then phase two was you have to write something that we will pay you for. We may not hire you, but we're going to pay you for it. How much do you want for this article? you know, that you're writing Mm -hmm. and everyone gave their prices. And some people were like so high that I couldn't even work with it. So it was a no, you know, and it it kind of allows the discussion. If they could ask for what they want, maybe I can give them a little bit more. And then it's like, everyone's super happy and they don't even know that they're priced very cheap. Ah, so that's why you asked me to say what I wanted (laughs) for our our, uh, split that we do on our podcast here. <laughs> I remember that discussion took forever because I had mm. no idea. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you you dictated the terms. I was happy with them. I actually need uh, 92% now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so to so step back, we, we can we can renegotiate later. So things that you need to prepare, I think um one thing that is really important, like you, you're going to be asked a litany of questions and what we're going to go into different types, but something you should certainly prepare is um, thing like stories of when you've crushed it, stories of when you haven't, and just yep. generally stories. Because yep. like, Andrew, what are you good at? Computers. <laughs> like, no, they, they, they want me to like almost like delight them with a really interesting story about how I, I don't know, overcame the computer. Or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I always keep a few stories in my back pocket. Not that I have to interview ever, but they're in the back pocket nonetheless. I think mm. my favorite one is uh, how I got paid to watch Netflix for eight hours at work one time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first story you tell in your interviews, right? Yeah, it's, it's a good story. <laughs> it's because it, this would be a story I would tell if I was going into IT or programming uh, because it's got a good hook. I watched Netflix for eight hours at work and they're going to be like, why would you tell me that in an interview? That sounds like a death knell right now. Uh, <laughs> it was because my boss came up to me and he's like, Hey, I have this special project for you. I need you to change these few little settings in this server tool, but you need to go into a thousand servers and change the same five settings in each one of them. And Oh, by the way, every time you hit save, it takes about 60 seconds to reload the index of servers. So mm-hmm. I was doing the math in my head. It's like a thousand times 60 time plus the time it takes to check the options. This is like a full eight hour work day of clicking the same five buttons just over and over and over again. I will die. So I, I found a program that lets you take screenshots of your computer and then uh, mm-hmm. build Python scripts around the screenshots. So the program will look for different states of your screen and then execute programming code based on it. And I wrote a script that would increment the server number, but then like it just told it what to do with the screenshots and it took over my computer and I couldn't use it for the rest of the day. So I just watched Netflix all day. But at the end, the project was done faster than I could have done it. <laughs> Boom. There you go. So that that's a story to demonstrate um, like innovative qualities. Like I'm willing mm. to figure out a better way to do something than the way that everyone else is doing it. And maybe I'll save you money. You know, you're going to pay me money. But maybe I'll automate 10 processes that currently cost you $100,000 a year. There's a good story yeah. behind it. And, uh, so actually, actually, I think that's an awesome story because people are like, ah, oh, this guy, he watches Netflix at work, whatever. <laughs> maybe, maybe I would slightly tweak it in how uh, I was working on two computers because, you know, I automated one so <laughs> I well. I brought another computer and I worked so hard. <laughs> but I, th- I think another one that, that people overlook or maybe it's like, it, this is only for people who are like selling a business idea or, or something, but uh, to perfect your elevator pitch. So it's like... Mm. 
Thomas, like, who are you? What's your story? I don't know. Like, you should be able to, like, wow me with, like, two sentences or just concisely explain who it is you are and what you're looking for. I'm just this guy, you you know? Just a bro. I'm just this guy. You know. (laughs) What is your elevator pitch, Andrew, since you brought up elevator pitches? (laughs) Uh, I mean, when I... I, It's not like, and go... But so that's I, the problem I, I would, because I don't I don't think you and I have an elevator pitch crafted because you and I are not trying to pitch anyone at the moment. I'm always trying to pitch people things. Are you? <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm yeah. I don't know. I like I'm pitching some, but I'm not pitching myself in an elevator look, pitch fashion. So like I'm not. I, I don't know. I guess maybe you should have one in your back pocket in case you get into an elevator with Jack Welch or something. But I'll give you an example. So I would go on interviews and um, depending on, you know, how it was asked or if it was time for me to kind of explain my background or whatever, I, I would usually describe myself as a data nerd by night na- by day and a money nerd by night. And that uh, I really love automating and optimizing uh in general. And so I've taken that from the, the the big data that I work on. And then I also built this brand to help people learn about finance. And if they want to ask more, I could tell them about all the cool tech things that I built, but it would show that I do more than just work and go home and watch TV, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, where it could be deeper on like things that you do at work. Um, but I think that you should have like a, a little bit to, to bill yourself as. Yeah. I think mine would change based on what my particular interests are at the moment, but there's always going to be some variation of, I like to help students optimize their lives as best they can. Mm. And I make ridiculous videos with anime references and stuff in them to do that. <laughs> that, that, that would be a good, uh, that would be a good pitch. And then people could ask you about it. Right. Yeah. And like if they, if they wanted to like uh, animate things, like uh, do you animate things? Do you animate things? Like actually both. And then you could go into yeah. the tools that you use. And so it's like little, like almost story. Think, yeah. Mm. That's the key of an elevator pitch is it's got to be something that makes them want to ask a question to learn more. Like what's because, the appetite a little bit? Imagine you're at a party and someone's like, or someone asked me, like, Andrew, what do you do? And I, I, I could say, uh, I do big data, you know, or I could say, I, I've, and I've done this before, said things yeah. similar, and I never, ever, ever get a follow up question. People's like yeah. eyes roll into the back of their heads. They're like, fuck this. I'm going to go talk to someone that has like, in, does interesting shit. Like, yep. you have to be able to provide them an opening. I think, yeah, that would be one of the kind of questions where I, I know I would have to force myself to act interested. Like, oh, what do you, what is that? Like, what's big data? Or what do you do with big data? You know, you get to like mm. come up with a question because you're trying to keep the conversation going. Whereas yeah. there's going to be a certain answer to that question where I will want to ask a follow-up because now I'm really curious. Like, I do big data for Pornhub. <laughs> dude you'll be the star of the, everyone would just want to know what yep. you do you're gonna get a question like is everyone naked there like does everyone yeah. come to work naked is like is it is it a violation of the company policy if you come to work naked it probably is 
But is it? How'd you find their job listings? Did you have to watch a thousand hours a week to you, unlock the? Yes, you do. That's what exactly. There's a <laughs> little badge you get. <laughs> it's like the, now you may now apply to work here badge. <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, that's kind of. I wouldn't ask that at like a a polite garden party, probably. Hmm. But um, that's the kind of question that people are going to want to ask a follow up question. Whereas if you just say something yeah. generic like "I'm an accountant," you know, versus "I'm an accountant for Don Corleone." You know, it's, there's a difference there, you know, and, and I think an interesting thing, and I, I want to like get in through the other stuff, but, mm-hmm. but one interesting thing that I found when we were interviewing at iHeartRadio and we had tried multiple times to grow the team, adding new engineers. And, um, oftentimes a lot of the candidates were completely qualified. Yeah. Like they, they all could have did the job, but this guy was kind of an asshole and we didn't really want to, we had this like rule, no brilliant assholes. Mm-hmm. So we, we wouldn't hire him or, or this guy was a little young and perhaps like inappropriate in like the way that he just was, you know? And so or, there, there are all these things. And uh, if you can connect with them on a personal yeah. level and they're like, ah, Thomas, I would love to work with this guy. That's like a, a plus a check in your, in your favor box. Yeah. I remember I read a post on Hacker News recently. Uh, it was like a postmortem of this company that had employed a brilliant asshole. And mm-hmm. they admitted like he was by far the best coder that we had easily. But because of that, he wouldn't document his code and he wouldn't let anyone else touch it. And every time there'd become a, like a complication would pop up or he had to code for another use case, he would say, I'm going to do it. And he would basically hoard all the work to himself. And eventually got to the point where nobody else knew what was going on. And he had this ever increasing backlog of work because while he was super capable and could do it, he couldn't do it fast enough to keep up with what the company was doing. So eventually they canned him and they were like, this sucks because we're canning our, our smartest coder, the dude who literally built like all of our infrastructure. We're going to have to go back and refactor everything with yeah. less capable coders. And they were like depressed about it for a while. And then he was writing that, after a few days of feeling like the whole thing was going to crumble, they all got together as a team. They figured out what had to be done. They looked at the code. They eventually kind of grokked it, split up the responsibilities, mm-hmm. and they were eventually able to refactor it. And then because they were no longer employing brilliant assholes, they got the things that were in the backlog actually done. So it took a little bit of time, but it turns out that if you have a group of maybe less capable coders or anybody that can get along and work as a team, it's always going to beat out the one brilliant asshole. Exactly. And, and, you know, some teams may not know that, but I think that if you like, and you'd have to be a, a damn rock star to pass being an asshole. Yeah. And just generally, if you skew away from that, even if you are in real life, you, you'll do better. Yeah, exactly. Um, one question I feel like no one really prepares for, and it may be one of the most important to prepare for, is why you are leaving your job. Mm. And it could be because you're fired. It could be because you weren't fired, but your boss is an asshole. It could be because they don't pay you enough. Uh, whatever it is, there's like a really delicate way to address this. Yeah. Because maybe you were fired, but... Um, you, you could have been this brilliant asshole or there could have been downsizing. And so um, you don't want them to not want you before the interview starts. I think there's always a good way to tell a story that 
puts your positive qualities or puts your aspirations in a good light. So mm. uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been fired from a job. I have been fired from one job. Uh, I got fired from a job when I was 17 years old and it was my fault. Um, for the one, for the, I think one of the big thing was I was not confident enough to sit there and try to figure things out myself in certain, certain areas. Cause I was so afraid of screwing up her business that I would just like always go ask for, I like, I would be paralyzed by that and then ask questions and basically waste her time. But then I would also just, I didn't really respect the culture that much. And I just did a few things that really irked them. And eventually they fired me. And I thought that my life was destroyed from that. I was like, well, I got fired. No one's ever going to hire me again. I'm, my life is destroyed now. But it turns out that everyone makes mistakes. And even if you are an asshole, like I probably was in that job, you can learn from them. And if I were asked, like, were you ever fired from a job? I don't even know if it's legal to ask that question. But if it were, and I were to answer it honestly, I would take that as an opportunity to show how my failures had led me to improve myself. You know, just like I've had girls break up with me and that doesn't yeah. mean that no girl's ever going to date me again. It means I need to go improve myself and fix the things that caused her to break up with me in the first place. And maybe the next girl's not going to dump me. That That is that is an awesome response and exactly what you should do because I think people will be able to tell that you're being real and honest and it's like the same thing if like you're at work and like you do something that messes some maybe the company loses like a million dollars because you hit like the wrong button or something dumb. Um, if you own up to him, like that was my fault. I did something stupid. Da 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 da. It's really hard for people to be angry and whatever because you kind of took all the wind out of their sails. And so yep. if you were fired and you're pretty like, hey. Um, I was afraid to try things because, uh, and you could explain whatever people can get it. They can relate to it. Uh, and it's not such a big deal. It should happen to everybody. I think one thing that I've learned in general about life is that unless that, unless you are a complete and total sociopathic asshole, like, unless you're like, <laughs> I T-boned that bus full of kids. Cause I thought it was funny. <sighs> like if, unless you are that kind of a person People aren't so much angry at the mistake you made as they are at a refusal to own up to it mm. and a refusal to acknowledge that you did make a mistake. And the moment you do that, like you said, it does take the wind out of their sails and they will empathize with you more because most mistakes are a result of fear or the result of carelessness, maybe inattentiveness or a lack of skill. And everyone deals with all four of those things. We've all been there. There's nothing more frustrating than being with someone who at work like screwed up something and just will not take ownership for it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's the worst. But, yeah. yeah that's so, one of the biggest things my dad taught me. Just own up to it. Because I was always so scared to own up to stuff with him because mm -hmm. he was scary. Uh, <laughs> one time I like, I tossed a 25 pound plate onto the bench, like the bench press and the, you know, the bench press is like vinyl upholstery because you lay on it. I like tossed the weight on there and it kind of ripped the fabric a little bit and I didn't want to own oh, up to shit. it. So I took black Sharpie and I like drew over the rip to try to make it invisible. <laughs> and he found it and he was like, I'm not grounding you because you ripped the bench. I'm grounding you because you didn't own up to it. Mm. And I was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. That Just is a good dad lesson right it. there. Yeah. That one stuck with me. All right, so one more thing that you should prepare, and then we'll get into like uh, 
answering some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you you need to have questions because uh, you're going to go through this whole process like nine times out of ten at the end. And I'm like, do you have any questions? And if you say no, you're just going to come across like you don't care, didn't yep. think about it, aren't interested, whatever. So um, it's a high-pressure situation, and you shouldn't really expect yourself to think of questions while you're answering them. So come with a few easy ones that you can fall back on just mm-hmm. in case um, about the role, about the interview and the job they do, the company, the work you'll be doing. Like come with a notebook. Yeah. And you can you ask know, about like, ha- what what are my opportunities for uh, taking on additional responsibilities after I prove myself in this one? Like, are you guys growing? Is there an opportunity for me to grow into my role and add more? You know? Yeah. Like if I had somebody applying to be a writer with me and if they just wanted to be a writer, I think that would be fine, but I would be more impressive. They're like, hey, maybe are you making a course in the future? Can I help you with the copywriting? Can I help you with like outlining it? Can I help you with audience research and demographics and stuff like that? Like if I see that you're really willing to grow into the role and take on more responsibility. Um, I'm going to want you more. One of the things that stuck with me the most from Dan Carlin's Wrath of the Khan series, he noted that one of uh, Genghis Khan's best qualities is that when he spotted talent, he'd snatch it up and put it to work. And uh, Kublai Khan did this too, which is why he worked so closely with with, uh, can't think of the dude's name the guy who came from europe my god marco polo i know you're talking about yeah and uh you know but dan carlin points this out about Genghis khan like his generals were super confident and he would spot that talent and he was he had a knack for it and then he would grow them into their roles they didn't start out as generals they started out as probably horse archers and then moved up Mm. so a competent interviewer a competent business owner is going to take your questions as an indication of your ability to grow into bigger and better roles in the future. A lot of hiring at higher levels is done internally because you've built trust and you've built your skills and they can see your progression. There'll be people that they know that can vouch for you. Exactly. Which is huge. Yeah. Um, so uh, there, there's like some things like, so if you're going to like a, job interview for uh, to be a programmer they're going to stick you in front of a whiteboard and they're going to really just like wipe the, the floor with you it's going to be rough but there there are and you can't really prepare for the questions that they ask because they probably made them up um it's very rare that the question just grabbed off the internet these days because <laughs> everyone looks those up but there are some questions you can prepare for um one of them like one section of them being uh behavioral based questions okay and, and, and like examples of behavioral based questions are like, give me an example of a difficult problem you solved. Tell me about a mistake that you've made, a uh, challenging situation that you overcame, like so on, so on and so forth. Yep. And this, this is a good example of why it's good to have stories in your back pocket. Exactly. And um, what, what like the, the solution winds up because, you know, if someone asks you, uh, you know, what what's like your biggest weakness or actually we'll save that. So, um, it's what's really a good one for, uh, I'm going to know what's a good one for you for tell me about a mistake you've made and how you handled it. Um, I, I usually give a specific work example. So, um, if it was for listen, money matters, it could have been of the umpteenth launches when the website wasn't working and I sent the email to everybody. If it was at the office, <laughs> 
it would be like putting things. I, I put something into production that almost took our our uh, main authentication server out, so like literally no one would have been able to log into <laughs> IR Radio. Like, you know, and and it's kind of like, um, look, this thing happened. I did it. I messed up, and then like, uh, the, this is what I did after finding out that I messed up, so yeah. that I would make sure it would never happen again. And I want to give, you know, if you, uh, yeah, I want to give people a specific example of this. So the one that go, comes to mind for, for me, uh, two years ago, possibly three, I wanted to make a video about how to be productive during summer vacations. And Martin and I got the idea to do the shoot in different locations in different cities. Uh, so we did two shoots up in Ames, Iowa at my college and it went great. We had this really cool camera called the DJI Osmo, which is like super cool at making really smooth, beautiful footage. And then the second day we were going to do our final shoot down in Des Moines, which is about, I think it was like a 20 minute drive from our house to get there. So we packed up all Mm -hmm. of our gear. We drove to the location, found a parking spot, walked probably a good 15 minutes from the parking spot to where we were going to shoot. And then I unpacked the camera, I put it together and I realized I forgot the batteries. Oh my God. I remember you telling me this. So Martin and I, and I <sighs> bless Martin's heart. He just, he took it in stride. He's like, well, looks like we got to go get it. Like the most logical, somebody else would just like, like throwing shit. Like what the fuck, Tom, <laughs> you just made this wasted. I don't know, like an hour and a half of my time, but no, he's just like, I guess we got to go get it. So that's what we did. We drove back to the house and we got the battery and we drove right back and we filmed it. None mm-hmm. too soon because it started pouring rain after that. Uh, but afterwards I was like, okay, clearly I need a checklist of shit to take on a film location shoot because Mm. it was literally like one piece of gear out of 50 that I was bringing with me. It's so easy to make that mistake to forget to check for the batteries. You think it's in there. So now we have a, before you leave, you're going to go through this checklist template. That's a great example because you've shown how you solve the problem and how you're going to make sure it will never happen in the future. That is a good example. And if you're worried about coming up with good examples or, or real ones, there's actually a process with a cool acronym that'll help you. Okay. It's called the STAR, S-T-A-R method. And um, it it's situation, task, action, result. So... Um, the context of your story, like what, what were you working on? You know, you were going to go film this video that, that involved multiple cities. Uh, the task, um, you know, what was your job to do? Uh, the action, you know, what did you do? And so this might be for something that was successful, but you could flip it in any situation. And then the result. So this is what we did. Um, and I guess like a, a, a case example, cause I didn't think of it in the context of your story, but it could be like working on a six month contract with a high value client, blah, blah, blah. The task could have been, um, to lead the transition for my group, communicate with the client, blah, blah, blah. The action could have been, you set up weekly check-ins with the client to update them on the progress, blah, blah, blah. And then the result is complete the project on time. Um, everyone was happy and the, the client threw you a party. Or something pizza party and it's just like you make sure that you have all the key pieces in it yeah you know and you come up with a story so in my case situation was we were going to film on location my task mm. was to pack up all the film gear and make sure that we were bringing it all what did i do 
I fucked Not up. Not your task. And I forgot to bring the battery. <laughs> the result, we wasted a ton of time and had to drive all the way back and wasted literally an hour and a half because I forgot one battery. So also result number two, we created a checklist and now we go through it. So preflex. And that, that was your action as yep. a result of, yeah. Uh, so there you go. That, that's how you would structure questions like that. Um, and then uh, there's like a bunch of really, so, so I didn't want to call them shitty questions. I call them subjective <laughs> questions, but they're also just shitty questions. Uh, which yep. ironically is and uh, is kind of like what we were naming the episode. I don't know if we'll name it this, <laughs> but like, where do you see yourself in five years, or what is your biggest biggest weakness, or why do you want to work here? It's like, if I'd been asked like maybe once, maybe twice, what your biggest weakness was, and I I just said like dunking or three point shots, <laughs> you know, because it's just a dumb question. Like, what's my biggest weakness? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> It's it it's whatever. It's a dumb question, but you have to have a good answer for it because mm-hmm. it does get asked, and there are yeah. tactful ways to answer it without coming off like uh you know self important prick, but also being able to show that your weakness is something that you worked on because that's what they're looking for. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, I guess they are kind of like looking for weaknesses, like if you're applying to be a UPS package, uh, you know truck filler and they're like what's your weakness and you're like oh it's actually lifting anything over the 10 pounds like that's probably going to disqualify you (laughs) but a lot of times they're just looking for somebody who acknowledges their own weaknesses and then is the kind of person who puts steps into action to shore them up yeah and so for example you could say uh i what is your biggest weakness i'm not a morning person um, I tend to get up late, even if I set a million alarms. Uh, and so what I've done is I've structured meetings around arriving a little later. I stay a little bit later. Uh, and as a result, I also provide some evening support while my coworkers travel home. Or you could flip you it and be like, I'm not an evening person because my kids get out of school. And one of my goals in life is to be there with them as a supportive dad. And so I come in a little earlier. Uh, I schedule my meetings as such. When people arrive, I get like two hours of working uninterrupted and I leave a little earlier, but I'm more than happy to give a few hours on the weekend for support or something. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of like classically bad answers to this question. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I have no weaknesses is a really bad answer and there's nobody to spin that. But a lot of people want to say that they're perfectionists and Mm -hmm. it's a really bad, like if you just leave it at that, it's a bad answer. That's like it's, a cliche it's like answer. To, I would almost avoid it. It is it is a cliche answer, but it, it may actually be true. And in my case, mm-hmm. that is one of my weaknesses. One of my weaknesses is I tend to work right up to the deadline and I'm very bad at putting in hours of really good creative work if I have a ton of time left. I'm but that's not necessarily that. perfectionist. That They actually call but, that uh, superheroing. Well, so there's People that, but who, I'm also perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Like, because... When I'm writing, I'll feel like the next sentence needs to be perfect. It needs to be just comedy gold or it needs to be the best, most elegant way to say this. And as a result, I'll stall and I will get paralyzed. So Mm. what I've learned that I have to do is I have to tell myself, you are going to write the next sentence that comes to your mind and it's going to be imperfect. It's going to be a mess. And then later you're going to come back and polish that because otherwise you're just never going to write anything. Mm. 
So there's a good way to say, like, if you actually do feel like you struggle with perfectionism, because it's really a problem for some people, you got to explain it well. You know, they have this saying or, or something to this effect where it's like, uh, when you have a bunch of things you have to do, like eat the frog first, yeah. do the thing that you least want to do that sucks the most, do it first. Um, a weakness of mine is I always save it to last and mm, I actually the frog do mean? shit that, yeah. And <laughs> I'll even, I'll like be doing tasks that are due weeks from now, <laughs> but I'll push back the thing that was due yesterday because it just is a pain. And whatever. That's also my weakness. That like seriously, I'll wake up on a Monday what? and I'm like, I really need to finish the script and film this video. But <laughs> you know what? I haven't checked the PO box in a while. And if I don't check it often <laughs> enough, they may actually cancel the service at some point. So mm. I better go walk over to the post office and check the PO box. <laughs> I'm learning you have a lot of weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, just ask my girlfriend or ask Martin. They are they are privy to all of them. Mm. But again, you know, you got to know how to answer that. How do you answer where do you see yourself in five years? Other than the obvious Mitch Hedberg joke. So I, um, what what is the Mitch Hedberg joke? I don't know. Celebrating the five-year anniversary of you asking me this question? Uh, <laughs> I would be pissed if you gave me that answer. <laughs> I, mean, I would like chuckle and, and then just like wait for you to give me a real answer. I wouldn't even say anything. <laughs> um, I feel like it's a very patronizing question because like, what what is the expectation? Working at this company for you, doing the best I could do. Like, Staying in my I, same I, I position, might, going home and making the same dinners and watching Friends reruns, just like I do now. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, I, I've been asked it before and I, w- I was a data engineer. And those are the jobs I was applying to. And often I would say um, possibly a data scientist or uh, building a broader role, uh, you know, helping um, have ownership of like – so in, in in what we did, like we never owned a product per se. We kind of just mm. like did data things. But like, you know, if you have like a dashboard, I don't know, just a kind of like ideas of things that I would want to build where you don't have to – tell them the play-by-play over five years. But if you have like thoughts of things you want to do, yeah, um, I think that that is helpful. For me, five years is too long. Mm. Like I can come up with some things that may be plausible, but I know that in five years, I'm going to be helping people somehow. And I'm going to be doing something that challenges me and that requires me to learn new things. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, from from the beginning until now, when I sit here talking to you with a shirt on and no pants, um, <laughs> was roughly five years of building this in my matter. So yeah. you could start today and in five years be talking to Thomas without pants on. That is true. You could do that. <laughs> it's been less than five years since we met. Yeah, That's true. I think, what, did you start LMM in 2013? Uh, Yeah. Because I started the CIG podcast in the January 2013, so I realized that as of this month, I've been podcasting for five years, and that's, that's a weird, lot. dude. It's like five years of my life in podcasting. Mm-hmm. It's still weird to think of myself as like, oh, I'm a professional podcaster. Am I? Hey, I've been doing it for five years, actually. I just find it hard to consider myself a professional. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you are a professional podcaster. Your profession is... It's podcasting. I mean, you do other things as well, but that is a large part of your profession. 
<laughs> oftentimes, like, because the mo- <laughs> like people who are my age rarely are, are the people that I like really don't give a shit what I do or they don't ask. You yeah. know, like, like if I was meeting you for the first time, I'd be like, hi, my name's Andrew. What do you do? And I'd be like, my name's Andrew. Uh, I don't know. And some some nerdy thing. And we wouldn't talk about work. <laughs> right. But the people who usually ask about work are like older people. And it's like, mm. what do you do? And like, I have a podcast. And then they're like, what's a podcast? And I'm like, this is going to take a while. (laughs) It's a radio show, but on the internet. (laughs) But not on the radio. Not on the radio. (laughs) Though it could be on the radio if we got syndication. But nobody would syndicate Mm. us because on the last episode, I said star anus and you said anus and laughed. So I guess we could be on like Philadelphia morning shock jock radio. (laughs) Crazy Ira and the douche. (laughs) <laughs> we just need like a board of sound effects. Like there you, I, you go. say a joke and I just hit the fart button. <laughs> I would always hit the fart button. Oh yeah. That's my job. That's my job. There's actually a union here. <laughs> this is unionized. My job. Nobody gets to hit that. You get sued if you hit the fart mm. button. How do you answer? Why do you want to work here? Uh, I, I usually um, talk about the company. You know, okay. and so like if it was iHeartRadio when I was applying to iHeartRadio and I have a podcast and I'm really interested in, you know, I, I love music. It's like the soundtrack of my life, blah, 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 blah. Um, when it was Lehman Brothers, I don't think they asked me that, but I might have <laughs> said that I was like fascinated with financial markets and some random things. Uh, I don't know. I mean, make something up before you get there. Uh, yeah, I think that you should you should know. Okay, I know I, I want to acknowledge that sometimes you have to take a job because you got to take a job. And yeah. if you're digging ditches, why do you want to work here? I want to make a good wage. I want to work hard. And I want to feel good about myself when I come home. I have you know? not had a job that like defined me as a person. Yeah. So if you get one of those jobs, that's just like I don't know. You're saving the world. Like that's awesome, but that's not most of us. But. I think everyone out there, when they're out there job hunting, they have a couple of places in their head they really like to work. And when you have a place like that in your head, you need to get clear about why you want to work there. And I'll give you a great example of someone who did this excellently. My friend Martin wanted to work at this web development place in Des Moines uh, after he graduated from college. And rather than just making a resume, making a cover letter and applying... He literally built a website, not for himself, Mm. but a website that was all about why he wanted to work for the company. So it had sections on why I want to work for you specifically, where he mentioned like, I really liked these couple of sites you built. Uh, You built one of the Mm. sites for my university's athletics team. I love the design of it. I love the responsive code and the clean code you guys wrote. And then he had a section why you should hire me. Here's my great qualities. Here's Here's a case study of a project I already did that shows my skills. And then he had testimonials from past clients, myself included, that Mm. backed up his resume. And they loved that website. They loved it. It's awesome. They loved it so much that- It's a baller move right there. It was a baller move. You sure it wasn't Diddy? They (laughs) loved it so much that they, they told him, usually we do not like to hire recent grads because in our experience, recent grads don't have the work ethic or the experience that we're looking for yet. But mm. you're an exception. We're hiring you, and we want to hire you as an intern before you graduate. Actually, so he wow. actually ended up spending six months going there as an intern until he graduated, and then worked there full time. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, he was clear. I wish I was that creative. Clear. Well, there's the idea. I don't know. All, all creativity is a process of stealing ideas and smashing them together with other ideas so they're unrecognizable. And you know what? Uh, this is an awesome story because this is the one where he knocked it out of the park and it was it was like the last one that worked. But I'm sure if we if Martin was on, we could dig into all of the times that he attempted something similar and it wasn't good enough, didn't work, bad taste, whatever. I guess the point is like, and, and this is the same with just whether it's like preparing for them or, or attending, you just got to practice this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will tell you, so that was, uh, other than like on-campus jobs, that's the only job job that Martin's ever had. Now he works with me full-time. Um, but that same strategy, Anna used to apply at the Denver Zoo. And she made this whole page on her website. Where she did custom illustrations of animals and all this kind of stuff. And she was really gung-ho about working there because she loves animals. And we, we literally went to the zoo. We drove to Denver and we were there for some other reasons, but there was also part of the plan was to go to the zoo so she could familiarize herself with it and be able to say, I went to the zoo and I love the zoo because it was before yeah. we moved there. And she submitted that page and never even got a response. Mm. So we kind of chalked that up to, oh, it's the zoo. It's probably getting a zillion applicants. Like, And I've been on the, I've been on the hiring side before. It's really tough to... Uh, tell everyone they're rejected. Now I made a point to do it and mm. I had to send a, a form email to most of them, but I at least sent them something, but she did that. She got rejected, but she still took the lessons she learned from that and applied them to her next job that she applied for and got that. So now she has a full-time job. So yeah, to your point, you want to practice not only just the interview questions, but also you want to practice going all out when you apply for a job. A lot of people apply for jobs in a shotgun manner and they think mm. it's all a numbers game. I just got to get my resume out to as many people as possible. Hustle, hustle, hustle. And I'm going to get that, you know, the one fish out of a hundred casts. I'm going to get it. Mm. I'm more of a sniper approach. I'm going to identify my target. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to make sure I'm breathing properly. And then I'm going to pull the trigger because mm. that is how you impress somebody. Interviewers can tell when you're shotgunning because they can tell you didn't put a whole lot of time into your resume and your cover letter and whatever else you did to impress them. Somebody who pulled out all the stops, it is very apparent they pulled out the stops and that can often make up for a, a skill gap that you have. You, you know, I, I kind of think that it's both. And, um, and so like your, your, your cover letter, you know, even your resume, like I always had like an objective, like a first line of like, who, who am I? Why should you care? What do I want? Cause mm -hmm. you want to give me a job that I want. Um, no, I mean, you want to give me a job that I want because if I don't want the job that you want me to have, then I, I probably am not going to stay. And uh, when, when I was first applying for jobs, my, my parents like had helped me out of college and made like a, a huge list, an enormous spreadsheet of all these companies and then classified them as like types of companies. And I think I wrote three or four cover letters mm -hmm. and I had a couple iterations of uh, my resume with different objective, perhaps like different key classes that I took to correspond to the type of job, did all that first, and then I rapid fired it out. So it was like slightly customized to each. Now I didn't like make a website for each of them, um, but I don't know if Google would have given a shit, you know? They and might I'll tell not have given a shit. I, Google, they didn't yeah, give they a shit anyway. So. A 
you know, they, yeah, they, yeah, they get a couple million resumes a year. And I, I'm not saying that you should identify one company and then don't apply at any others because it, mm. at the end of the day, it is kind of a numbers game. And there's probably other people out there doing crazy, awesome websites, telling Google why they want to work there. Like this idea is, it's still pretty niche, but I think it's, it's becoming more popular than it was. And any kind of thing like that is going to catch on. So yeah, you got to hustle. Like looking for a job can be a full-time job. But all I'm saying is it shouldn't be like, all right, I just, I take the boxes for that company onto the next one. Like if you've got a company that you're really into, that one deserves some extra TLC at every stage of the process. And look, if there's a company that you want to work for, let, let's say that there, you're right now at a job and it's all right, or it's, it's terrible, or, or you just think that your time is ready, like your, the time is up for a change, uh, maybe give yourself, you know, five months, and I'm going to get a new job in five months, and these are the three companies I want to work for, and go interview at like 30 companies that are not as good as, that co- as the companies you want to work for, but do a similar thing, and practice. First of all, you're not going to care as much because you're doing it for practice, so you may just do better because you're not going to be nervous. You're going to be able, like the stories that you tell are going to almost become automatic. So people ask you these questions, you've refined your stories the same way like comedians refine their jokes. You're going to kind of get into this cadence so then you can apply to the jobs you want and crush it, you know, or learn from all the jobs you're applying to and some of them will tell you why they didn't like you so that you can adjust um, to fit for the jobs you want in the future. But the, the key is you just got to get out there and do something. Yeah. And in the case that they actually do want to hire you and it's one of those companies that you weren't intending to work at, ask for more money. That's right. Maybe they'll pay Practice you something. Practice your negotiation. You, <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll pay you something you didn't expect and you'll be like, actually, maybe I will work there. And maybe they'll be like, that's too high. And you'll be like, okay. You know, I, I wouldn't want to say, you guys are actually a practice company for me. So, sorry. <laughs> oh, on that note though, if you're in college, um, most universities offer practice interviews at certain Mm. times like at at iowa state they would have people who were actual recruiters or actual hr people come in from companies and they would offer their time to do practice interviews and i took Mm. every single one of them up on that offer as as often as i could because i wanted to be able to like you said have the ability to tell a good story without stumbling over my words a bunch when it actually came time to tell it to a real interviewer So is that, uh, you think that, that covers it for the I, most I think, part? I think we covered it. Yeah. Cool. All righty. Well, as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Our show notes for this episode are over at listen, money matter, listen, listen, money matters.com slash show. So check those out. We'll have resources that you can check out if you want to learn more or if you want to recap this episode. You can also find our favorite tools, apps, resources, books that we recommend for increasing your financial knowledge, all that kind of good stuff over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. Check out those resources. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you in next week's episode. Later, man. Later, dude. Please tell your friends about this show. Thank you.